Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Now, the cross is not something just to look at. It's also meant to look through. That's this series. The cross shapes our worldview. It opens our eyes to how we look at each other, people view. And it is a lens through which we look at everything in life, all view. It's like the ultimate filter. Or you could even look at the cross as like the best telescope or the most intense microscope. It is so important that eternity hangs on the cross. A renowned theologian named J.C. Ryle said this about this. Look at the screen. A man must be right on this subject, or he is lost forever. Heaven or hell, happiness or misery, life or death, blessing or cursing, in the last day, all hinges on the answer to this question. What do you think about the cross? Now, this book of Galatians that you've got on your phones or you've got open to in the Bible draws a contrast between the salvation that is based on what we as humans can do in opposition to the salvation that is based on what God has done. That's the the thumbnail sketch of Galatians. And at every end, uh, nearly at the very end of this letter, Paul, (laughs) Paul in a way kind of just lets everything hang out. And so we're going to go through this in several different versions and paraphrases. This is the sixth chapter of Galatians and verse 14. The first comes from the New Century Version. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is my only reason for bragging. Through the cross of Jesus, my my world was crucified and I died to the world. Look at the New Living Translation. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. Look at the Passion Translation. May my only boast be found in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In him, I've been crucified to this natural realm, and and the natural realm is dead to me and no longer dominates my life. Look at J.B. Phillips' paraphrase. Yet God forbid that I should boast about anything or anybody except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, which means that the world is a dead thing to me and I am a dead man to the world. Look at the Living Bible, paraphrase. As for me, God forbid that I should boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in all the attractive things of the world was killed long ago. And the world's interest in me is also long dead. And then finally from the NIV. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, that may seem to you like a little bit of an overkill to just hit you with one version, one paraphrase after another. But I, I, want, this, I want this verse to just hit in our minds and just stay there and soak a long time. The cross of Christ is our only boast. We've got but one boast. 
And maybe to put us all on the same page, we need to think about the biblical understanding of that word, boast. That is literally joyously exalting in, to glory in, to make much of, to be consumed by, to be obsessed with. It's quite a word. That kind of boasting is reserved only for the cross. The reason? Because nothing else in all of the universe can deal with sin. Nowhere is this more clearly explained than in the letter to the church plant in Rome. You guys have to eyeball this for yourself. Look at the screens. This is Romans 3, beginning with 25. God gave Jesus as a way to forgive people's sins through their faith in him. God can forgive them because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus pays, because the blood sacrifice of Jesus pays for their sins. God gave Jesus to show that he always does what is right and fair. He was right in the past when he was patient and did not punish people for their sins. And in our own time, he still does what is right. God worked all this out in a way that allows him to judge people fairly and still make right any person who has faith in Jesus. So, do we have any reason to boast about ourselves? No reason at all. And why not? Because we are depending on the way of faith, not on what we have done. It's crazy, but there are actually some people who don't like the cross. I'm talking people who claim to follow Jesus. Now, we know it's foolishness and ridiculous to people who don't believe in Jesus, but there are believers in Jesus who frown a little bit on the cross. Another series on the cross, really. Why don't we get to the gospel? That is the gospel. <laughs> I don't know. Some people really don't like it because it forces them to admit that they are powerless to affect anything in regard to their salvation. John Stott, the theologian, explains this. Look at his quote. The truth is that we cannot boast in ourselves and the cross simultaneously. If we boast in ourselves and in our ability to save ourselves, we shall never boast in the cross and in the ability of Christ crucified to save us. We have to choose. Only if we have humbled ourselves as hell-deserving sinners shall we give up boasting of ourselves fly to the cross for salvation, and then spend the rest of the day glorying in the cross. The cross of Christ really is our only boast. And because of that cross, the world begins losing some of its pull, and we are becoming more and more dead to the world. Uh, Howard Hendricks was a professor at the Dallas Theological Seminary, and he told a story about a friend of his who was called into his boss's office and offered an incredible promotion. Huge pay raise, extra benefits, prestigious position in the company, so on. But the boss ended the offer with this. There's only one catch, he said. If you want the job, you're going to have to sacrifice everything the job must come before your family and everything else in your life. Take it or leave it. The man, the man looked at the boss, and he left it. 
He walked out of his office and he never returned. And he felt an amazing freedom to be totally unbound from the world's trappings. That's not who I am. He was dead to the world. I read just last week, you may have, saw, have seen this on Facebook, that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar recently sold his four championship NBA rings, his three MVP trophies, and other memorabilia for $2.8 million. Why? Why? He's such a wealthy man. Why'd you sell all this stuff? Well, he used all of that to go to a youth education program. And when he was asked why, he said this, when it comes to choosing between storing a championship ring or trophy in a room or providing kids with an opportunity to change their lives, the choice is pretty simple. Sell it all. He is learning what it means to be dead to the world. That's it. And when the cross is our only boast, we not only become dead to the world, the world really doesn't like us anymore. And it wants to be more and more dead to us. And maybe one of the most tragic moments in life is when the world just keeps liking us and they don't want to be dead to us. That sounds awful, doesn't it? I mean, we want, everybody loves to be accepted and enjoyed. But I'm telling you, you follow Christ, you'll find the world just less and less interested in who you are and what you have to say. When Mickey Cohen, a famous Los Angeles gangster back in the late 1940s, made a public profession of faith in Christ, his newfound Christian friends were elated. But as time passed, they began to question why he didn't leave his gangster lifestyle. And when they confronted him, he protested. He said, you never told me I had to give up my career. There are Christian movie stars, Christian athletes, Christian businessmen. So what's the matter with being a Christian gangster? If I have to give up all that, if that's Christianity, well, count me out. Cohen gradually drifted away from Christian circles and ultimately died lonely and forgotten. And Charles Colson picked up his story and explained. Look what Colson said. Cohen was echoing the millions of professing Christians who, though willing to admit it through their very lives, I'm sorry, though unwilling, though unwilling to admit it through their very lives, pose the same question, not about being Christian gangsters, but about being Christianized versions of whatever they already are and are determined to remain. Boasting only in the cross of Christ brings a reality that, man, this world, it really doesn't have anything lasting to offer. And equally, the world looks at us and says, Ugh, get out of here. You don't have anything to offer us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, before the world snuffed him out, found the truth about boasting only in the cross. Look what he said. The cross is laid on every Christian. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us 
at the beginning of our communion with Christ, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So even though we die to the world, and even though the world wants to be dead to us, even though we die, we die with someone who yet lives. The cross of Christ points us to something beyond the storm of death. That storm won't last. Many centuries ago, on the south coast of China, Portuguese settlers built an enormous cathedral overlooking this beautiful bay. And they placed this huge bronze cross on the front wall of that building that reached up into the sky. Well, years went by, and a typhoon eventually swept that whole cathedral into the ocean, all except that front wall with that huge cross. Well, in the 1800s, there was a shipwreck in that bay, and one of the survivors hung on to some wreckage, and he was trying to find his bearings. And as he rode the waves up and down, he would every once in a while catch an image of that massive bronze cross in the distance. The guy's name was Sir, Sir John Bowring. And after being rescued, he penned these words, in the cross of Christ, I, glo I glory, towering over the wrecks of time. All the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. When the woes of life o'ertake me, hope deceive and fears annoy, Never shall the cross forsake me, lo, it glows with peace and joy. You guys, that's, that lyric has been sung for generations, bringing hope and peace and comfort to millions. And y'all, we are barely scratching the surface. I mean, tip of the iceberg stuff here. Fanny Crosby would write, Near the cross, I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever, till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Some of you saying that. The cross is the most popular theme of Christian songs, bar none. I need to tell you a true story of a young song, songwriter named Isaac who back in 92 was an 18-year-old pastor's son. He grew up attending church services every Sunday. He loved the Lord, but he thought the music at the church was awful. It was slow and sad, and hardly any young people were singing. So Isaac was fed up, and he finally complained to his dad. Dad, the music at church stinks. When are we going to sing some new songs? Well, his dad knew he had it within him because Isaac was a child prodigy. At five, year olds, five years old, he knew Latin fluently. By nine years old, he was, a he was conversant in New Testament Greek. By 11, he could speak French. By 13, Hebrew. So after Isaac complained to the church about uh, playing to his dad about the church songs, his dad said, son, why don't you write some? And Isaac said, I will. He wrote two that week. They sang in the next Sunday. Old people hated it. Young people loved it. <laughs> I started by saying this happened back in 92. It wasn't 1992. 
It was 1692. The man's name was Isaac Watts, and that's when he began writing songs for the church. Gave us over 600 of them. One of his most popular, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Before Isaac Watts, church music was mostly confined to singing or chanting verbatim song words from the Psalms. He introduced this revolutionary, but at the time, most controversial style of writing words that weren't taken exactly from the Bible. Sound, but not just as the Bible would say it. So for most of his life, his music was considered too radical for the church. Now, he based every single one of his songs on a specific passage of Scripture, and guess what? He has a hymn that he wrote based on Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14 that I read you multiple times at the beginning of this sermon. In fact, the song that he wrote based on that verse, he originally uh, titled Crucifixion to the World by the Cross of Christ. Some of you will recognize this song considered too radical in its time. It says, When I survey the wondrous cross, on which the prince of glory died. My richest gain, I count the loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my Lord. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See, from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or Thorns compose so rich a crown. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. He had another stanza that didn't make it into most of our hymnals. Look, his dying crimson like a robe spreads o'er his body on the tree, then am I dead to all the globe, and all the globe is dead to me. There's just something magnetic and moving about sacrificial love. Brennan Manning writes, power affects behavior. Love affects the heart. And nothing on earth so moves the heart as suffering love. That is why the perfect expression of God's love for us is the dying figure of Jesus pleading for someone to moisten his burning lips. So the cross, our only boast. That isn't a mouse. It's just the little thing that he's doing on the piano. The cross is our only boast. The cross deadens us to the world. The cross deadens the world to us. Now, y'all, that's hope. That's living hope. Why? Because this world is temporary. But the cross is the doorway to a world that never ends. That's why we preach about this every year leading up to Easter. That's why we always will. Because it is our foundation. Father, let us not tire hearing another message, another truth about the cross. 
Let it be something that swells within us and grows deeper with more and more meaning. Hear our hearts, Father, as we sing of this living hope based on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, church, let's stand.